Welcome to Bunny Hugs and Mental Health, the podcast that deals with all things mental health. We talk to professionals, survivors, and loved ones about their sometimes informative, sometimes uplifting, and sometimes tragic stories. I'm your host of the show, Todd Rennebaum, advocate, recovering addict, experienced sufferer of depression and anxiety, and author of the children's book, Sometimes Daddy Cries. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health on the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. I am Todd Rennebaum. If you'd like to listen to other great Saskatchewan-made podcasts, just go to saskpodcastnetwork.com. I'd just like to say thank you, everybody, that's been listening. Even if this is your first time listening, thank you so much. It means a lot to me, and I think it's an important podcast. There's, I have a lot of guests that are very vulnerable, all for the reason to share their stories so t- to help others. So thank you very much uh, for listening, and thank you very much for all my guests thus far. Uh, it's really, really amazing that these people even want to talk to me at all, let alone on a podcast. So thank you. So I don't know what was going on with Apple Podcasts last week, but I think it's all figured out now. There were some kind of technical issues. There was, I don't know, the one, my latest podcast episode didn't show up. And then when it did, there was like actually two different things. Oh, that was, was a mess. But anyway, I believe it's all figured out. And uh, I apologize if anybody was uh, confused by what was happening. This week's episode, I speak to Bob Rennebaum. He is my cousin. Uh, a second cousin. I just met him this, this summer. Uh, I think I met him when I was a kid, but doesn't matter. I'm, I re-met him this summer at a family function. He's a registered clinical social worker, and we're going to talk to him. We, when I say we, I mean me. I'm going to talk to him about anger. We kind of get into the biology of it, how it works, why people, what what our brain does when we're, when we're angry. Uh, we talk about the effects it has on mental health, our maybe more so how mental health affects anger. Uh, I also know that there's, I mean, I'm generalizing here. It's kind of a very male kind of issue. I know that I have a lot of female listeners, um, but I think you female listeners will get a lot out of this. If, especially if you have a male in your life that has anger issues, you can, you can learn a little bit more about how it's happening and why it's happening. So without further ado, I give you Bob Renabom. All right. So at this point, I'm a what's called a registered clinical social worker uh, in British Columbia. Um, oh. I've been re- I've been registered in Alberta and a couple of the states before, but right now I'm only registered in BC. Okay. So we're, we're relatives. You're my second cousin, and uh, or cousin. I don't know what the hell we were cousins of some type. Yeah. So I, I I know growing up there was anger issues throughout like my part of the family right was it the same kind of with with growing up growing up in my family the um probably it's a it's a funny thing i mean my my dad had a good temper but i didn't see it i didn't see it very often uh when it erupted it was it was a force to be reckoned with and it scared the shit out of me Mm -hmm. but but it uh, maybe only a I, I might be able to think, uh, at least in the in, in the period of time, you'd have to ask my older sisters if it was when he was younger. But uh, I might have saw, seen him lose his temper in sort of an inter in an interpersonal context, maybe only three or four times. Really? Yeah. But oh, but he would he he would lose his temper um, 
when he was golfing or when he was trying to build something. I mean, <laughs> you know, or, or putting up a tent, it was like a, a major shit show going on all the time on that. But that wasn't directed at anybody. That was just a, that was just like watching Mount Vesuvius go off. And, <laughs> and that, that was mildly scary, but it was because it wasn't being directed at anybody. It was just, uh, it was almost amusing at one level. Right. Yeah. But the, but the upshot of that was, was really, you know, in terms of what I, I didn't, I, you know, what I learned or didn't learn mm-hmm. was that, and, and maybe this is something that is a common theme for across our, maybe across our generation. I don't know, but, um, uh, nobody te- nobody taught you anything about how to regulate any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You had no you had good, no good evidence of strong emotions being experienced and managed. You know, anger anger uh, not 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 ever getting sort of interpersonally angry is pretty is pretty unrealistic. But, um, so no, I um, you know, dad. And the other thing was that uh, you know, growing up in my family, uh, uh, d- d- the few times that dad lost his temper, uh, uh, I remember a chair I was sitting in being kicked across a room. But uh, I, I was never hit or anything like that. So, right, right, yeah. And same with my dad and my grandpa was was mostly like inanimate objects got the got the brunt. Yeah, and it was usually it was more frustration, like you said, they were building something or trying to do something, and, <laughs> and then the room would get blue and things would go flying. And same for myself. Yeah. Um, and it's really only been the last five years since I quit drinking that my, my anger like that, like I don't fly off the handle at inanimate objects really anymore. It's I, I don't know. And it's not like I've worked on my anger. It's just, I think collateral damage of not drinking wasn't well, the opposite of collateral damage, I guess, positive collateral pol- positivity. And, but anyway, I would think that perhaps in the process of sorting out being a non drinker, that some of the things that, um, would have underlined uh, under been underneath uh, various forms of anger would have uh, would have had to moderate that to be a mm-hmm. non-drinker, right? So I I do think the two things are related, right? I uh, one of the things I, because I'm a social worker and I have been at it for a very long time now. Um, you know when, I, when I'm working with clients who are struggling with either drinking issues or, or or sort of emotional regulation, anger, and so on, it's always fascinating and, and a bit hilarious because they they talk to me about how calm I am all the time and. And uh, that being around me just calms them down, and you never seem to lose your temper, Bob. Nothing ever seems to bother you, <laughs> and it's hilarious because my, you know, if my wife happens to be sitting in the same room when a phone call like that's going on, and she can <laughs> she can overhear the phone call, she's just split in the gut because I'm anything but that normally. Right? I mean, uh, um, in my in my own personal life, I still have to have to do a dance uh, to not end up mad and angry and yelling. So, huh? But but. Uh, I can't remember the last time that in a client situation I lost my cool. It's got to be decades. So you have lost it on clients before? Oh, two or three times. Nothing that that if you were watching from the outside would have been gross or anything like that. But I, I, you know, where I'm aware that I'm not really in charge of my mouth right now. Right. You know, my, you know, your job as a therapist is to be pretty thoughtful about what what you're saying at any given point and to be pretty in charge of that. And I can certainly think of times uh, where, where that wasn't the case where I wasn't, I, I wasn't really, my, my mouth was, was not under control. Are, are you a drinker or do you drink at all anymore? Not anymore. I, um, I quit probably middle nineties. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. So, so it's been a while. Right. Yeah. Um, um but but I certainly uh, I, there were there, I certainly uh, 
was a good drinker for for at various points in it before that. It, do you find or have you found that your anger is subdued since you quit drinking somewhat? Um, yeah, the <laughs> there wasn't a there wasn't a, a really strong connection between me being drunk and me being angry. Oh, in fact, okay. it was it was it was more the opposite that um, uh, if if in the in the colloquial sense, I was a happy drunk. I, right. I wasn't an ang- and I wasn't an angry drunk or a morose drunk. Uh, so that that was never that was never much of an issue. Right. Same here, actually. But it was when I was sober and I would get. I remember doing trying to do house renovations and I'd like throw hammers through walls and rip doors off hinges and stuff, but I wasn't drunk, but, but since I've been sober, like sober, sober, that doesn't really even happen anymore. Well, and again, I, yeah, for me, I think that, that I'm certainly much more in charge. I regulate my emotions much better since I quit drinking. I mean, that really, Mm. that's, I think that's the big task when you decide to be a non-drinker for me. I think one of the reasons that people drink is because they're not, they don't, they're missing skills in regulating their emotional state mm-hmm. and they're not very good at it. And I think if you're going to become a non-drinker and then, and then sustain that, uh, then you, you have to carry on with the process of learning how to manage yourself better. Mm. Um, if you've been drinking to, to sort of numb yourself down or, or uh, mask your feelings is when you quit drinking, guess what? They're right there in your face. So, right. Yeah. And, uh, you're going to have to deal with that. So, um, now I don't know how much of an expert you are on anger or an expert at all. Well, I, it's certainly <clears> something I'm, I'm, um, you know, I, I, at various points in my career, I worked with a lot, you know, lots of clients who that was a primary issue. And okay. We had to figure out, we had to figure out, uh, treatment methodologies for that. So I, I would say that I have a fair amount of expertise in, 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 sort of the psychology, biology of anger okay. and, and, how, and how to treat it. So what are, what are some of the different types of anger? Like I've, I've, I've been on a couple of different websites researching over the last little while. It's like some say three, some say 10. And so I don't know. <laughs> what, what are the major ones you know of? I, yeah, that's not a, that's not a, pr- a perspective that, that I'm familiar with. I, uh, oh, okay. I, I haven't sliced and diced anger. I, I think um, the way I think about anger is, is um, just simply, uh, I mean, anger is such a fundamental term. It's hard to sort of break it down much below that, but, but that it's a very intense set of emotions that, uh, that while you're experiencing them, a significant part of your, of your best uh, brain, your upper brain is offline. Hmm. But I, but I've not, I've not sort of, I'm, I'm over the decades because it's been decades that I've been dealing with this. I've, I've worked, I tried really hard to learn how to, you know, what was an, what were an effective or what were the effective treatment models for anger, mm-hmm. and I would diligently learn them, and then I would, I would work with the client, and we would, I would teach them all the, the material that was in that particular model, um, and they would learn it. And in the course of you know sessions and in the office and so on, they'd be very good. They could tell you could tell me what they were going to do, and they knew they knew what their triggers were and so on. And it it, it was frustrating for me, and it was certainly frustrating for the clients because you know three weeks into that, they'd have an event happen, you know, out in out in the real world, and they come back in and say, Bob, you know what? I knew exactly what I was supposed to be doing, but I couldn't do any of it. You know, once that process started, um, it's like I checked out. Um, and it was no good to me. Um, mm. so I, I think of those as um, sort of a retrospective treatment model where, where you're trying to 
apply anger management techniques after the fact. Mm-hmm. And it's a very small window where people still have enough intellectual control to do that. And if they're not, if they're not still in that little window, um, then the anger incident is going to run its course. Um, so I've, I've taught much more about how to prevent anger rather mm-hmm. than to manage it while it's happening. I see. And found that, found that more effective. Well, so what does some of the, what does treatment look like for, for anger then? I teach them as a tools to understand what I call the level of their level of arousal. And, and that's a, that's a biological term. It has to do with, with, um, your sort of psychobiological state, exactly what's happening in your body in any given point. And I use a scale of one to 10 as, as the teaching. I'll, I actually draw it out for them. I like a thermometer. I show them the, you know, a line with, with one to 10 written on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and at any given point, people's level of arousal changes. Uh, it changes throughout the day. Uh, for some people, um, the afternoon is a little low arousal level and so on. But, but individually, people have a, a, a standard resting level of arousal, and it, you, each person can be different. So I, I don't know. Uh, let, let me ask you. So on a scale of 1 to 10, with 7 being the point where, where you start to lose control, mm-hmm. um, where, what do you think your resting level of arousal is? Where do you normally tick over? Like throughout my normal day, where am I generally with my anger? Generally, when, when all things being equal. Not when you're under any particular stress, just uh, probably. Uh, and this is this is this is as much for the sake of discussion as it is. Uh, there's you know there's no right or wrong answer on that. Right. I'd say maybe a two. Two. So it's quite low then. I think so. <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know. If, am if, I wrong? Well, no, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> again, there's no right or wrong. If you really are a two, then then uh, I, what you have is you have a lot of wiggle room. It you know that gives you it means you are able to absorb a fair amount of stress because it's what's and and stress is a, again a generic term that that raises your level of arousal. Hmm. So if you really are ticking over the two at this point, then you've got a lot of wiggle room. Um, you're probably not going to struggle much with anger outbursts, and uh, you probably would very, very seldom get past your seven point. Yeah. What happens when you get when you um, Probably for me, I would say more, my, my resting level arousal these days is probably about a four. Oh, okay. Which is, you know, that, that's a pretty normal, when I, when I ask most of my clients that kind of question, mm-hmm. uh, they, they, they're clients because their life isn't working real good right now. So, mm-hmm. so they, they, most of them will give you an answer of five or six. Right. And what happens when you hit the seven point is that there's some quite significant changes in your nervous system. Uh, and, and most people understand the concepts as sort of the fight or flight process at that point. Mm-hmm. Once you hit the seven on, on your level of arousal scale, the middle part of your brain takes over management of you. Uh, you're the, 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 something called the amygdala is fired and it, it, you're, you're now dealing with, with a situation of danger. Um, and the best part of your thinking goes offline, your upper, your upper, your neocortex goes offline. And your midbrain starts to run things, and mm. you get a big dump of chemicals into your body. Your your body takes prepares to take action, and there's a there's a there's a depending on you know how I work with clients and how much they want to know and exactly how they're wired and so on. I, there's much more to that explanation. Right. But once you hit the seven point, it's going to run its course. Once you get that chemical dump, it takes it takes some period of time for your body to metabolize. The, uh, the the two the two chemicals are adrenaline and noradrenaline. So 
once 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 that system is kicked in, mm-hmm. you're you're going to need a recovery period before you can start to uh, think properly again. Right. So when you hit seven, it's like the point to know where you turn. It's like yeah, it, it, you're, you're, the, the the process is going to play out now. Right. Okay. Yeah. But for many people, that that's that can happen fairly quickly. I mean, I can get from mm-hmm. a four to a seven. I can get from a four to a seven fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, there's there's not much you can do at that point. If you if you there are techniques you can teach people to not keep feeding that system once it starts. Okay. Um, right. That's that's an important point to withdraw if you can. If you're if you've got a thinking process that's contributing to what's making you angry. If you're busy telling yourself what the, that what this event that's just happened means is that I'm being disrespected, for example, right, or I'm being challenged, or or um, you know I'm being made to feel look like an idiot, or you know all the various things that people can say to themselves at that point. If you if you can find out what what people are saying to themselves at that point, and you can bust that up, then they they don't keep re- reactivating the fire. But for many people, like I think I mean if you know yourself. When, when you get past your seven point, how long does it take you to recover? Oh, like fully recover? Like it, it could take, it could take hours. Yeah. When, so when you, that point where you now know I'm human enough again to start to interact with my wife, for example. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, it could take maybe an hour or see sometimes like I'm, it's been a long time, but when I would yeah. completely fly off the handle, I mean, when I would come down, I'd be. I'd be embarrassed. I'd be feel ashamed. I'd be like, you know, right. then I'd, I'd even maybe even have a little depressed episode because, yep. because of this. And then I'm moping around and I'm apologizing to my wife and I'm like, uh, I've done it again. Right. Uh, yeah. That's a, you know, part of the reason that, that that's a, a set time frame is because of that chemical dump. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a whole biological process that you've activated when you get past your seven point. Um, and um, for me, for me, in, in the old days when I wasn't managing this well, it would take me sort of 40 minutes to an hour to recover. Mm-hmm. And, and I could, I, I would be able to recognize that I'm now human again. I know that, that I'm back in charge of myself now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can, I could resume the conversation or I could resume whatever activity it was I was trying to do. And I wasn't in danger of losing it again immediately. Mm-hmm. So as you give that kind of explanation to a client who's wanting to manage this better, so then if, if you take them back to, to what their resting level of arousal is, mm-hmm. and if they're telling you that it's a five or six and they can recognize that they're, they're always on slow boil, <laughs> um, then, then that's where the intervention comes in. You, I'm sure you've heard of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Everybody's, everybody's talking about mindfulness right now. And, and a lot of these clients have been taught that you know, one, of the, one of your tools for anger management is mindfulness and and they they're taught some kind of mindfulness technique and so on to a person they say to me bob when i'm in that when i'm pissed i can't do mindfulness yeah (laughs) i I can't i can't concentrate on anything i'm just i'm 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 as dumb as a post at that point i can't do that yeah you say i you know the answer is of course that's not the time you need to be doing mindfulness the reason you use mindfulness as an intervention is to drop your resting level of arousal from a five to a four Right. So you have to do the mindfulness when you're not at seven. You have to do it at, you know, preferably or some meditation or whatever, whatever lowers your level of arousal. You need to do that four times in the day when you're actually not feeling 
too bad. Because hmm. uh, you can hook people up to electrodes and measure this crap. You know, I, I can watch, you can, you can see how your level of arousal is dropping. And it means that you're now more resilient. It means that you're going to be able to manage to not get past your seven point. That, that drop of one makes a huge difference in how much more you can bet you can stay in charge of yourself as your right. day proceeds. Right. Um, so that when I talk about prevention, that's what I'm talking about is, is how you, you teach people why, why, why would you want to do deep breathing when you feel okay? Right. Well, that makes the, you know, like people say, well, why would I do it? I'm, I'm okay at that point. Absolutely. You're okay. And that's, and here's the explanation as to that's exactly why you should be doing it at that point. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so that, that's where I got you on teaching anger management instead of, uh, instead of the more classic models, which is, uh, uh, you know, how to interrupt the anger process once it started. Right. Cause I, I personally never had much success with that. And I certainly uh, had very few clients who, who could come back in and say, yeah, I managed to bust it up. I, you know, I started, but I stopped myself. Yeah. Right. Um, or like having your wife come in in the middle of it and say, and have her yell, calm down. Right. <laughs> well, so if you have a significant other and you're a Renabom, yeah. it's fairly important to teach your significant other that you probably best for you to stay out of the way. Here. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, if you put your hand up, you're going to end up, <laughs> you're going to end up involved and you don't want to be involved. Um, <laughs> yeah. My wife learned that real, real yeah. soon. Yeah. It's just, it's just an excuse for, for me to prolong misbehaving. <laughs> it's really just a temper tantrum. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a version of it. I mean, you know, uh, people don't, uh, the, uh, it's not, it's not a biologically different process than a temper tantrum. You, you're going to offend most adults if you talk about temper tantrums. But it's, <laughs> yeah. the, same, the same biology is what's going on for a kid when they're in the middle of a temper tantrum. Yeah. You, you can learn as a parent that there's not much point in trying to talk to your kid when they're in the middle of a temper tantrum. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So why That's would you want to talk them. to me? Why would you want to talk to me then? Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Huh. So some of the, you kind of talked about some of the thinking or some of the thought processes. Um, so is that kind of like cognitive, what's it called? Cognitive. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Is it kind of like that? You. It's not so much that is, um, is that um, uh, you want to, um, do you know what dissociation is? Uh, I think so. Okay. Is you kind of go out of yourself a little bit and yeah. Yeah. So uh, when people, when people are, are past their seven point, mm -hmm. uh, it's not exactly dissociation, but that's a tidy way to think about it mm -hmm. is that they're outside themselves at that point. And it's because they're the, the, the neocortex, the, they're, you know, we're, we do all our best thinking. That part of you is offline during that period. Mm. So you want to ground people at that point. You want to get them back um, uh, in, into themselves. And you want to uh, get them to start to relate to the world differently. And I'll explain what I mean. That sounds like a really vague concept. So if you can focus on your senses when you're angry mm -hmm. um, and you can start to turn outwards, and because anger is this, in, you know, this bio biological internal state. And the more you pay attention to that, the more you can, it, the more you can throw a gasoline on it. Mm -hmm. So you've got to use, if, uh, you, have you ever, did you, you ever run across something called five, four, three, two, one? Does that mean anything to you? Yeah. For to yeah. prevent a panic attack coming on or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. You can use the same thing with anger. If you do, uh -huh. if you do, if you do five, four, three, two, one, when you're, um, uh, when you're, when you're at a five and you, and you want to get down to a four, right. uh, wait, let's say you, you know that you're about to go into a stressful meeting or 
when some piece of crap has happened in your life that you're, 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 you're teetering, that's a perfect time to do the same kind of things you would do to manage a panic attack. Right. Maybe explain five, four, three, two, one for people. Uh, yeah, don't five, know. four, three, two, one is just a way of, of, of getting somebody to pay attention using uh, to focus on their sensations, uh, their five senses. So it's five, four, three, two, one is, is you start with five things that you can see, five things that you can smell, five things that you can hear. Um, so I, I, I can hear the fan uh, uh, blowing over my left shoulder. Um, I, you know, I've got earphones on right now, so I can't hear very much other, but you know, you work through that five things I can see. I can see the flowers over there on the table. I can see that, that, uh, that image of a bird. And as soon as you start to focus on your attentions, it's going to take you um, neurologically into a different place and your body will start to recover. It's amazing how much, how well that works for anxiety. It is. It's again, it's hard to convince people to do it. I don't know how hard it was for you to, to incorporate it for you. And cause I know you get panic. I'd actually written about that. Um, Oh, I'm horrible at actually giving, or I'm actually horrible at giving, or sorry, taking my own advice that I give to people all the time. So <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Anytime I have anxiety or depression or anything, it's like, I know what I should be doing, but I don't do it. It's like, I, I, that's part of the, it's just part of the illness, I think. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's. Um, or just being stubborn. It, it's really helpful if. Um, if in the in the course of, of if if you've ever had had the opportunity to work with somebody directly on that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, that uh, fall, you know, for example, teaching five four three two one, the best time to teach that is when somebody's having a panic attack right in front of you, or mm-hmm. when they're when they're you've just said something that's pissed them off, <laughs> and and you actually walk them as the therapist, you get a chance then to walk them through it, because. It you know it gives them a, the, uh, an actual first concrete example of hey this actually works this isn't right. Bob just you know shooting his mouth off I mean I, this just actually worked here I actually do feel better <laughs> so, um, so you try to provoke people to I don't to try do. to provoke it you got <laughs> to be light on your feet when it actually happens in the session instead of instead of beating yourself up as the therapist that so you've just blown it you haven't blown it you, this is life right you've just created right. an opportunity to, to it's a teaching moment if you will right um, right yeah. Huh. Um, so because the brain is dumping all this chemicals, right. Can anger be almost like a drug and be like addicting? Um, but in a different way, you know, there, there, yeah, yeah, it's not a classic, it's not a classic addictive process, but one of the things that happens when, when you're writing, you're writing all that adrenaline, Mm -hmm. um, is that again, uh, you, you tend to feel powerful. Mm-hmm. You tend to feel um, in charge. Your your body is preparing to take action, um, and you can get um, that can be a very pleasant feeling. You know, I think there is a dynamic that goes on that, that people get angry when they feel unsafe, um, mm-hmm. and 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 when you get angry, um, you're you're it's the, you're you at least have a defense against that that feeling of of, of loss of safety. So right. and I think that can be addictive. Uh, right. There's cer- certainly so, been times so in my like life. A, where, so it's ahead. more like a defense mechanism in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, and it's not a very good one. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It really, it really is an emergency management system. And if it's if it's if it's your primary, it's your primary go-to for emotional <laughs> regulation. You you don't have a whole lot in your toolkit, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. 
Because I was reading about how some people, they, they use anger to control other people too. It's like they can manipulate a whole room by by using anger. And then that can, I don't know if that's addicting, but like that becomes a, well, at one time for me, it was like depression was my default emotion to go to. So I think some people, it's, that's their default. That's that. That's an interesting. That's an interesting concept. I um I would challenge that one. I would I would suggest that um, the idea that that people use anger to control other people mm-hmm. is more likely to come from the people who are feeling controlled. Right. Um. I uh, my take would be that anger, even for people who seem to get angry a lot, is sufficiently unpleasant that most people are are not sophisticated enough to try to use it as a control mechanism. Hmm. Right. I know I hated it too. Like I hate being mad. I can't stand it. I can't stand it either. I mean, I, the idea that I would get angry to, um, I mean, you see people talk about this, you, you get angry. So you get your way. Right. Right. I don't think you really understand what's happening in me because I'm not winning here. This is not a win for me uh, <laughs> yeah. when I, when I'm in that kind of state, um, there are, there are, the world is full of people who are legitimately afraid when, when people around them get angry and they yeah. do feel controlled and they yeah. may start to try to modify their behavior and response. But I think that's more on them than, than on the person who's getting angry. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I'm angry to try to solve some problem that I've got. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get myself back under control or I'm trying to manage the fact that I've just been frightened or, I feel unsafe or, or, uh, or for me, you know, one of the triggers and I don't know if, if how this one fit for you, but, um, because of my life circumstances and so on, I've, I'm a big guy, physically big guy. And I, I've, I've had this concept for a long time in my life where as a big guy, there was a lot of little people in the world that needed protection. Mm-hmm. And my anger used to be very much tied up with that, that mm-hmm. when I, and even with my clients, uh, uh, over over the over the years, um, being in a rage about the organization I worked for, uh, and being furious all the time about that, you know, uh, getting getting my arousal level up to five or six all the time, uh, because my organization wasn't meeting its responsibility to these these clients who had desperate uh, needs, and then when you know they weren't getting what they needed, and so on. So, um, right. Um, well, I was just talking to someone that's. Um, she, her son had committed suicide when he was 17 and I was talking to her about doing some mental health advocating and how she got into it. And she said, well, I got into it because of anger. And, and I laughed because I was kind of the same way. I was like so pissed off that, you know, pissed off at the system and pissed off that, that, you know, it actually <laughs> it was actually anger that got me into it. Yeah. Well, I, and I've got, you know, I, I've got a, if you talk, if you talk to some of my colleagues over the years, uh, I've had I have a whole history of being at war with whatever system, <laughs> yeah. uh, taking on taking on management all the time to the point that, in most instances, eventually I had to leave the job. Yeah, where where um, I burned every bridge I had uh, trying to advocate for my clients. Yeah, um, I don't do that much anymore. I uh, I have to wrestle sometimes with the idea that I feel like I've given up on that, but. Uh, uh, I've, I've certainly seen two things. I've seen how much that cost me personally, yep. being angry all the time. Yeah. Um, and and realistically, did it make any difference? And the answer, unfortunately, is no, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, uh, ripping the strip off some student manager because they're not going to go and uh, 
and and kick the boss in the shins. Uh, um, only idiots kick the boss in the shin, and I happen to be an idiot. But it's <laughs> it's not really fair. It's not really fair to lay that on anybody else. So so yeah. the combination of uh, how much how much I I how much my life sucked when I was a five or six on my arousal scale over time. I mean that's yeah. part of why I, I I used and abused alcohol was that I, I spent uh, decades in rage, you know, constant rage about the general unfairness of the world. And, and yeah. Oh, so, I know. Yeah. That, that's, that is something that makes me go from a two to a five is uh, going on social media and li- listening to the news and politics and that kind of stuff or, or reading comments on Facebook uh, it is just a simple article and then all these stupid comments people make. It's like, why do I do this myself? I know every time I read the comments, I'm going to get, uh, you know, my blood will boil. Like, why do I do this I don't, myself? I don't, I don't do that anymore. I, yeah. I can't. I, I can't stand being that angry all the time. So I, <laughs> I stopped watching television news 20 years ago because I can't, I can't watch that. I don't read comments. I don't, I don't read letters to the editor. I, you know, I just, I can't. I have to protect myself from it. And, and so how does anger affect mental health, I guess, because, you know, seeing as this is a mental health podcast. I think that um, I, I would ask, I would say it a little bit. I, I, there's, a, there's definitely a relationship here, but I think your mental health is already in trouble when you're angry all the time. So I don't, I, I don't, think, it's, I don't think the anger leads the way. I think your mental health issues lead the way. And anger is your desperate attempt to try and stay ahead of that crap, hmm. whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, there's a statistic I found where 82% of those diagnosed with, uh, it's called intermittent explosive disorder, which is basically you're, you're grumpy all the time, um, that 82% of those diagnosed with that also have depression and anxiety or substance abuse disorders. So absolutely, absolutely. So that's basically just, you know, basically what you just said is it the mental health is it's leading the way. Yeah. 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 Um, I saw a, a meme on Facebook once that said, anger is sad's bodyguard. And, right. uh, and that, that hit me pretty hard because I, you know, when I, when I was really going through mental health issues, that's exactly what it felt like. It was like, um, it's a, it's a sure way of keeping your head above water. Uh, yeah. It, otherwise you just surrender and, and sink, you know, the other side of that, that arousal scale. Mm-hmm. I don't, again, I don't know what, uh, if you've ever run it. Are you familiar with, uh, it's called the polyvagal of the vagus nerve? No. Nope. about that? No, okay. Um, if you like, I'll send you a couple of links uh, if you're interested in this. But, but you, you, when I teach the arousal scale, I said there was sort of more to that story. You, you talk about one to 10. Mm-hmm. And, um, but um, that's, that's when what's called your, symp- that, that's a, a way of talking about what's called your sympathetic nervous system, right? And your sympathetic nervous system is the part of your nervous system that winds you up. Right. right. It, it's, uh, it upregulates you. So, so this, uh, this is what upregulates you. Um, you can think of depression as, as, as the other half of it, which is the, uh, it, so no, you're no longer talking about a one to 10 scale. You're talking about one to 10 up and one to 10 down. Hmm. Right. So, so, you know, if you, you can think of depression as being, uh, being overly downregulated. Hmm. And if you actually hook people who are depressed up, you're going to find that their heart rate is slower. Their blood pressure is lower. Uh, their skin conductivity is, is, is different. Uh, there's all sorts of biological measures that you can take of a depressed person that shows the, how, how the, their, their arousal level has dropped into almost a dangerous territory. 
And getting angry is, is one of the ways of, of turning what's the parasympathetic system off, which is what's doing the down regulation. You can't be angry and be down at the same time. Mm-hmm. Even temporarily, anger bring, kicks on that sympathetic nervous system and winds you back up. Mm-hmm. So um, the idea that, that anger is, what do you call it, uh, the bodyguard of SAD? Yeah, SAD's bodyguard. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's another way of, that's the bio, that's the biology that's behind that. It absolutely works. Huh. So, you know, for, for lots of chunks of, of, of my working career, actually, it was, it was safer to be angry about what was happening around me because right. to pay attention to how sad I was over, over the horrible things that were happening to my clients with, I mean, fuck, how would, how do you even survive that? Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. So it. So scientifically, it actually it really is, <laughs> and biologically, it really is SAD's bodyguard. Absolutely, because I know lots of guys that you know they're miserable, grumpy people. It's like, well, that's a lot of men. That's how they display depression, right? Even though apparently it's on the flip side of zero. <laughs> well, yeah, it's their, it's their way of trying to survive with the fact that if they if they actually paid attention to how they were feeling, other than angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would just turn into a puddle. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you've heard of the, the the fight or flight stuff, right? Yep. Yeah. So it, it's actually four Fs. It's not just two. Okay. So in, in, in order of how it goes, it goes from uh, it's flight first, not fight. If people say fight, flight, but we're hardwired to run away. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can't run away, then we're wired to fight. Mm-hmm. If we can't fight, we're wired to freeze. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if we can freezing... Uh, if, if uh, freezing is not sufficient, then we're wired to faint. So it's the four Fs is flight, fight, freeze, faint. Hmm. So if you do sense. a Google, you do a Google search on that, you'll get, you'll get articles on, on the four Fs. Um, and freeze and faint are done by the parasympathetic nervous system. Hmm. And it, go, it goes back into the animal stuff where, where, you know, if you, if you watch your animal kingdom stuff where, where you're watching the lion chase the zebra. Um, that's definitely fight or flight stuff going on at that point. That animal's trying to run away. When um, at the last minute, um, the danger is so extreme and they, they've not successfully run away, the animals freeze. They stop running at that point. Mm-hmm. Biologically, what, what happens is the, the predator gets distracted and, then, and it, it has some survival value standing still. Huh. Um, and, and fainting takes them right out of the action, so they drop out of sight. Huh. Okay, so, so when... Go ahead. So a fainting goat, they just skip all those steps and go bloop, right to fainting. <laughs> well, absolutely. And, and you, can induce, you can induce it in some animals by flipping them on their back. It activates right. that, that vagal response. Um, if uh, Women who, who get assaulted, yeah. um, people say, why don't you fight? Yeah, um, right. And it's, it's because they've gone into the freezer faint mode at that point. Their parasympathetic system has, has the sympathetic system is overwhelmed, and they've dropped into the freezer faint cycle. Um, it's it, it's the it's the sort of last dish defense to stay alive. You're teaching me a lot today, Bob. Yeah, well, it's it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, damn you, you. you. You'd be surprised if you sit down with clients because uh, I can I can go through this in maybe an hour and a half with them. And they walk out with a whole different attitude as to why they should be doing their meditation exercises. Right. Um, and, and it makes a difference. Um, it anchors well, them with, with the knowledge they need. That's actually something when I was in, uh, 
uh, Pine Lodge, which is the addiction treatment center. I was in there for 28 days. That's something I really appreciated was the, there was a little bit of every day about the biological, what booze does to you, what's actually happening in your brain. And, and uh, I, I did appreciate that as opposed to just being, you know, preached at or, you know, meetings and stuff. It's like, oh, oh, that's what's happening. And then and you can think back to times I was drunk or high or whatever. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Huh. That makes sense. Science. Who knew? <laughs> well, anyway, uh, yeah, for me, it's always about making sure that the clients got the tools they need so that when they're not sitting across from me, I've, uh, they've got a fighting chance of sorting it for themselves. Because mm-hmm. you, you never, as a therapist, you never get enough time with a client. No, yeah. Long, long, long before the client really is ready to be flying on their own, um, some penny management uh, person is going to tell you you have to close their files. So. <laughs> yeah. Or your 20 day days are up, right? Uh, yeah, or their uh, health care is uh, uh, run out. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, and I suppose when they, they get into the real world, and like you said, like when they find themselves, um, in a situation where they're going to get mad, they can actually think of the biology that's happening to them. So then they do become, uh, uh, what's the word you just, you said, not self-aware, but. Um, um, well, for me, it's that, that they've got a fighting chance of re-regulating themselves. Well, let me, let me give you, let me give, give, let me give, give you a bit more here. So. Yeah, please. So, I'm, you've, all right. I've, so all the so questions I wrote about, down, you answered. So. <laughs> okay, good. So we're, so we, we teach, um, and most efforts to teach people, to manage anger mm-hmm. involves self-regulation. Okay. Right? So there's, so you can do, you can do what's called auto-regulation, which is you have tools for automatically regulating yourself. Self-regulation is stuff that you can teach yourself to do to manage your emotional state. Mm. And then there's what's called co-regulation, which is regulation in a two person system. Okay. Okay. And we, and we don't teach very much, within the anger management context, you almost never hear anybody talk about co-regulation. Yeah. And we're, we're our, our best management of our emotional state is done in two person systems. Human beings are wired to co-regulate. Huh. Right. The reason that, that people like you and me have struggled to manage our own anger mm-hmm. is because when we were little, we, we did not get enough co-regulation. I see. Right. So when you're little and the world is overwhelming you and you're out of control, you're having a temper tantrum, mm-hmm. you can let that run its course. And I get frustrated when I, I hear school systems talk about teaching five-year-olds how to self-regulate. Mm. There's no way five-year-olds can self-regulate. The mm-hmm. next time they're up against it again, they're going to have another temper tantrum. And it's just grossly unfair to be mad at them because they're not managing that better. Mm-hmm. Because when you're five years old and you're having a temper tantrum, somebody is supposed to help you with that. That's what co-regulation is about. Okay. So, so, so as adults here, if most of us are embedded in, in at least one two-person system, most people, right or wrong, you can argue whether it's a good thing or not. Most people are married. Most people have a significant other. Mm-hmm. And the person who really does have the best opportunity to help you manage your own emotional state is your is your significant other and there's a whole couples model that i'm I'm, i've been i've I've taken the time to be trained in about how that works and it's based on attachment theory and so on but but um and that's can that kind of slip from into codependency 
codependency like, is is a is a um, what is codependency in that context? Um, codependency is a one-way version of co-regulation. In, in codependency, there's a there's a there's a winner and a loser all the time. Oh, I see. One of the there's 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 an up down in, in in codependency. One person is 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 giving up, is sacrificing their emotional state to the benefit of the other party's emotional state. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's giving so it take. Is, it, it is a form of co-regulation, but it's a really unhealthy one. <laughs> right. So if you're co if you're co-regulating properly, both of you are engaged in the business of helping the other person manage their emotional state. Gotcha. Okay. In a, in a, in an adult child relationship, generally speaking, it is only a one way relationship, right? The adult is always the one that is supposed to be helping the child manage their emotional state. But that that's once you get adult to adult, that there, there has to be that, that give and take, there has to be a balance in that. Right. So, so a, a relationship with a therapist, would that, would that be considered co-regulation? Because yes. a therapist is there. But I mean, it's one-sided too, I guess, in a way. Well, it, it's more, it's a, it's a form of co-regulation, but it's more, it's more generally speaking, not always, but it's more like the parent-child relationship then. Right. Okay. The, ther- the therapist is supposed to be assisting the client with their emotional regulation. Right. So the therapist isn't, isn't getting emotionally involved. Well, and- they, they are, they're definitely emotionally involved because you have to, you have to write, you have to manage your own emotional state to co-regulate somebody else. Right, right. So as the therapist has to be able to regulate themselves, they have to be able to self-regulate so they can co-regulate with the client. <laughs> gotcha. Right? So Hope when, this isn't so too confusing might, for people that are listening. Well, as they listen. And then, <laughs> um, so, so when a therapist is trying to teach a client about their managing their emotional state, mm-hmm. um, if I have the option of getting access to the person's significant other, mm-hmm. I would much rather do that then then uh, have the client use me to, to manage their emotional state that makes sense if, yeah. if if they're if they're starting if they're in serious trouble or don't have a significant other if people are really struggling to manage their emotional state then then theoretically you know a good therapist is going to be able to, to do the dance with them to help them begin to get themselves back under control and learn some self-regulation and so on right but, but instead but of quick, once a month you would see them yeah sooner well actually. yeah i certainly see them weekly uh, and sometimes yeah. a couple of times a week if, if you have a rule that allows for that but as quickly as possible i would much rather have the the, the, the two real world people that person's significant other sitting in front of me and, and helping them manage each other because mm-hmm. i'm not going to be there forever uh, yeah. i would much rather that 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 your real your real world supports are the ones that are understanding how your nervous system works and right. what's best for you when you're when when things are not uh, not going well. So what if in a, in a couple there's one person that's much more, I don't know, we'll say emotionally intelligent, or or not as doesn't have as many emotional issues than the other person. Could uh, is that a lot of responsibility for the emotionally? It can, it certainly can be the um, and it's not that uncommon. Um, if you really have lucked out and you've got somebody who, <laughs> who, who uh, is firing better on their cylinders than you are, <laughs> if, you've, if you've lucked out and they really are reliably that way and have the emotional resources to lend to you to teach you how to sort of smarten yourself up, yeah, you're a lucky, in my case, you're a lucky man. 
Yeah. Um, but but it's it's seldom that even the person who at some level has more emotional intelligence certainly doesn't need you to be able to flip that table from time to time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's a myth that uh, you know we talk. The joke we make, you know, as one Renabon to the other, is that we marry well. And <laughs> <laughs> Not always. I know a couple. Of <laughs> yeah, well, we tend to. Yeah. Um, we trend we, that we way. Tend, yeah, we trend that <laughs> way. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm actually really liking my the the person I work for is one of my best friends and my boss, and I'm the only staff member because it's a small company, and. Uh, She's actually a trained social worker and counselor. So um, <laughs> there's days where we're working in the garden and I swear it's like an eight hour therapy session for me. And I, I have no idea what she's getting out of it. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea what I'm bringing to this relationship, but uh, it, it, it's uh, I think there's some co-regulation there for sure. <laughs> Maybe. Well, uh, yeah, and that, which is great. Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, it's, it's amazing, but Sometimes I feel bad that I, I don't know if she's getting anything out of the relationship at all. But well, well, she's getting labor, I guess. So that's good. Yeah, you're, you're an employee, <laughs> and for you know, from what you post on Facebook, you look like you're a fairly decent employee. So, oh yeah, I'd hire me. <laughs> I don't know. You have you spent my? I mean, you you've got you've got a boss as a social worker. Uh, social workers are an interesting group, um, and they're very different than psychologists. Yeah. I, I don't apologize for that anymore. And, 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 and I don't mean that, that social workers are better than psychologists, but they're mm, different. Mm, fight. Uh, nah, okay. Yeah, no, they're, they're dead. They're definitely different. There's um, I've, I've worked with a lot of psychologists over the years and so on. And um, I work differently than so than psychologists do. So when mm. you say, what do you get out of it? Uh, um, I'm, I, I love working with people in, in that kind of way that you're describing. If I've got knowledge and, and I can give that away to you, now that makes my day. I definitely get something out of it. Yeah. Well, and I can see that in her eyes. Too. Like, I think she really enjoys it. And, uh, you know, when I worked in addictions, I, lo- I loved it too. I loved working with the clients and dealing with clients and stuff. And it gave me a real purpose. I- I'm I'm struggling a little bit right now with what per- what what I'm finding as a purpose right now. <laughs> but uh, Well, where are you uh, going next? Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Bob. I really appreciate that. It's nice to have a professional's view on things. It's not, I mean, I, it's, it's really great talking to people that have their own stories, but it's, it's also nice to get a, a professional's per- perspective sometimes. So thank you very much for that. Uh, it's, it was great talking to you and meeting you and catching up with you. Next week, I got another really great guest. Her name is Carla O'Reilly. Uh, she's from Moose Jaw. Those of you not in Saskatchewan, yes, we have a city called Moose Jaw. It's a great little city, actually. Uh, anyway, uh, she has uh, experienced postpartum psychosis. And uh, once she kind of, the fog lifted from that, which is about four years of her life, she became a co-author and author, inspirational speaker, and positive power coach. And uh, I'm going to talk to her about all that stuff about her postpartum um, issues and also uh, her newest book turn on the switch it's about 15 tools she used and she encourages other people to use to help get her out of her mental health uh, issues anyway that's next 
not next week that is next episode in two weeks time you never know i might start doing these weekly again but for the time being it's every other week uh anyway thank you for listening and i'll catch you next time thank you for listening and please subscribe rate and review however you are listening to this podcast it only takes a moment and it really helps the show out with getting noticed This episode has been sponsored by Penny University Bookstore, 3104 13th Avenue. Call 639-571-2186 and check out their online bookstore at pennyu.ca. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is supported by Conexus. Wellness, however you define it, is achievable. You don't even need to figure it all out by yourself. Talk to Conexus. They'll give you guidance, motivation, and the push you need to reach your goals they've got you they're your financial partner and they know you can achieve your very best your financial best prove them right start right at connexus credit union the saskatchewan podcast network is also sponsored by direct west are you a business owner looking for new avenues to promote your business direct west digital billboards are a great opportunity to highlight a new product new promotion or anything else you'd like your customers to know about You can get local expert marketing help for your business at directwest.com. If you are having a mental health crisis, please call the Canadian Crisis Number at 1-833-456-4566. In Saskatchewan, the mobile crisis team in Prince Albert is 306-764-1011. In Regina, it's 306-525-5333. And in Saskatoon, it's 306-933-6200. Don't forget to check out my children's book, Sometimes Daddy Cries. Sometimes Daddy Cries is told through the eyes of a boy whose father suffers from depression. He sees his dad get sad, rest, and even go to the hospital, all while comparing his father's depression to a physical ailment. Available on Amazon.ca. I'll see you next time. This is Todd Redebaum saying, make your beds and take your meds. Bye.